fan. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Mandy. And uh, we're so excited to be back. Mandy has a case for us that I don't know anything about, so I'm super excited to hear about it. So I guess without further ado, take it away, Mandy. All right. One of my favorite topics is Amish people. I know it's so weird. (laughs) (laughs) I find it incredibly interesting. So we're going to talk about Amish people, and it's going to... Um, morph into this case, okay? Okay. So I just want to let people know that, you know, aren't as fascinated as I am. Who are Amish people? Do you know much about Amish people? Not a lot other than that they don't really deal with technology. They're okay. kind of like more of like a family-oriented, like isolated kind of a thing. And they don't like drive cars and they don't yeah. Yeah. use headphones and things like that. I watched <laughs> a little bit of like that show about like the Amish kids who like leave. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a tiny bit, like a teeny tiny teeny 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 tiny bit. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay, well, cool. Well, they're a religious group, we know that. And um there are people that ended up in America and in particular as part of the Pennsylvania Deutsch community. Uh there's also Amish communities in Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, Maryland, and Canada. So kind of a strange variety of places. Okay. Uh it's called an Ordnung and that's uh, that's their manual, and they so they have a manual, kind of like a Bible, I guess, that okay. would govern all facets of their society. So this is a set of unspoken rules outlining every single thing you can do as an Amish person, okay. and <laughs> it's from generalizations or to how you practice religion to minute details of dress, carriage design, your hairstyle. Um, it's not written down on any document. But it's relied by oral tradition. I mean, what if they're playing like almost like a game of telephone? This could go real bad. Okay, so I'm going to tell you some of these rules, okay? Okay. All right. Amish typically abstain from birth control. So they have an average of six or seven children per family. Absolutely not. Yep. Uh, agreed. I have two and yikes. Okay. <laughs> so, I have none and yikes. <laughs> you're here enough. <laughs> so some of these births are plagued by genetic defects because... They're a closed society. So most Amish people are descendants of the original 200 families that first settled in America. And so due to this limited gene pool, recessive genes linked to birth defects are frequently present in both parents. And um, it just keeps passing down defects. Okay. Genetic defects. Because there's like an original 200 and like that's... What's like incestuous? Pretty much. I'm like, I don't know any other way to put it. I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, Members of the Amish community may not be baptized before the age of 16, and they generally do not make their decision until between ages 18 and 22, because that's when they get to, like, go off and figure themselves out. Uh, They shun all forms of violence, and they refuse to serve in the military. They refuse to pursue any government or police jobs. Okay. And their interpretation of Jesus' teaching prevent them from involving themselves in the court system in any capacity, and they view litigation as a means of violence or aggression. Interesting. Yep. Okay. They hold their religious services in their house. <laughs> we don't have a church. We just do it at home. I thought they would have a, a, a building. building of some kind. I almost said temple, but I'm like, no, no. Yeah, building? No. But during their services um, that can last up to three hours. Oh, Men and women cannot sit together. They have to sit separate. They're segregated? Yeah. And their sermons and songs are in the Pennsylvania Deutsch and German. Okay. Yep. They believe they only need the skills of reading, writing, and arithmetic and learn those subjects in addition to English and Pennsylvania Deutsch in small schools with only one or two rooms. 
And when they graduate from eighth grade, teens receive vocational training, but that's in agriculture, craftsmanship, or any other profession held by a member of the community. And from a religious standpoint, the Amish oppose higher learning because it's potential to foster like anti-Christian ideas. So the more information you have, the more tempted you're going to be to, to yeah, not blindly follow whatever their Correct. religious views are. Yes. Don't educate yourself. Don't educate yourself. All right. They reject the use of electricity in their homes, but many Amish communities have a public phone that can be used by everybody. So one phone. Uh, they ever oh, so they're allowed to use a phone, but everybody it's has to like share it. It's like an emergency it. thing. I don't think you can just go be like, hey, I'm going to go call my friend who's, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, they have to, like, have a reason. And okay. it's usually in the bishop's home, I believe. They also have a computer marketed specifically to them. It's called the Deskmate. And it's used for business transactions, has no video, music, or internet capabilities. Okay, I... So it sucks. It sucks. <laughs> so in my interior design so it's like life. a cash register <laughs> no no money so in my interior design world i was dealing with um someone from an amish community who was building some cabinetry and when i would email him if i sent a link he wrote me back and he was like i cannot view your link so i would need to send him like a screenshot, screenshot because there's or a screen no internet. well not even a screen recording just a screenshot yeah i thought no they couldn't internet. get pictures videos well, if it's part of the, the email, email, I it's think like it an would attachment. Be okay. Yeah, but what he ended up doing was he said he had to contact someone else to get the information to send to him and all this crazy stuff. I was like, wow. Um, anyway, they do not want to be photographed. This is seen as idol worshiping. Musical instruments are prohibited. Their clothes must be simple, standard, and practical in order to promote their beliefs of uniformity, humility, and community. So this is what men have to wear. No pockets, zippers, or belts are allowed. They must have a straw hat or a formal black felt hat. Okay. <laughs> Women, uh, the closet holds four dresses. That's all you get. Uh, one for wash, one for wear, one for dress, and one to spare. One to spare. <laughs> Each so of these... there's no walk-in closets. No. In Amish communities. <laughs> nope. No, no. Each of these uh, dresses are long and patternless. Uh, patternless. And to church, single women wear a white apron and cape. Married women wear a black apron and cape. So you know that oh, you're single. Because you, know. you wear black or white. <laughs> That's not nice. Oh, God. They also Well, must... I guess there's... Yeah, it's yeah, like, like there's gonna be available. no there's gonna be no questions yeah. here. Sue and Jean are available, but Tammy. I wonder is if they taken. picked black because it's like a funeral because you're married. Oh <laughs> probably. Um the women must also keep their heads covered by prayer caps all the time. Yeah, like bonnets or whatever. Yep. A bonnet. Um men must remain clean shaven until marriage. Then they grow their beards. So when you oh, so that's how you can tell whether yes. they're single or not. So girls are in blue, boys no. have no beard. Girls are in black. No, married no. girls are in black. They're in white. Single girls are in white with a white apron. Okay. And oh, because they're pure. Yes. And the men have so no So they don't believe hair. in sex no. before marriage. No. No, no, no. Uh, so, okay. So they start growing their beard when they get married. And that is 
like a personal staple of their faith. Like you have to have a beard. I mean, what if you have alopecia? Like, (laughs) but whatever. Beard cutting um, attacks. I don't know why there'd be a beard cutting attack, but they're considered religious hate crimes and they're punishable by prison time. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So they must marry within their community. They cannot go outside of there. Divorce is not legal within their community at all, and they do not recognize it. Whoever asked for the divorce, so it's the man or woman, whoever decided they wanted it will be shunned, and whoever gets divorced can never marry again. So think about this. Like, domestic violence, et cetera, can, like, run rampant because you're going to get shunned from your community, the only people you've known, or you are going to be single for the rest of your life, or both. Yeah. Yikes. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so they do not have a court system, and they give only punishments of shunning on most occasions for crimes, um, as long as you repent, you're forgiven for whatever you do. Okay. Uh, everybody, are they're typically farmers, but they've also taken up puppy mills. Oh, no. Uh, absolutely that's what I saw. fucking not. I've never seen that before, but that was in the facts. So that's a questionable one. Do more research, everyone, if you're listening. Okay. Not into that. Agreed. All right, so the wool, the wool, the roles of an Amish woman are wife and mother, and their job is to maintain their home. Not a fan of that either. <laughs> Once a person becomes an official member of the Amish faith, they're expected to fully adhere to the rules of the Ordnung, as well as their religious overt doctrine. Okay, so if you fail to do that, if you fail to repent for your wrongdoings, you could be ostracized. And excommunicated, which means you got to go and then you're lost because you you've only leave. ever known these 20 people that you are <laughs> 20 <related people>. to. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, the Amish believe that medicine may help, but only God may heal. So they don't oh really do that either. They're not into medicine. Okay. And this is what. Um, so they have a lot of issues with like really basic things taking people out? I don't know. I mean, I think. <laughs> They've probably figured out a way for basic stuff not to, but, like, if you have a big medical issue, like, you're going to need to get the bishop to say, yeah, you can go. Like, get going, because you're going to die. So. Yeah. Oh, the bishop has that power to say I think say the bishop has the power. I think he has the phone. And use medical or not? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. What in the... This is, like, a cult. Agreed. All right. When Amish teens turn 16, they're allowed to experience the outside world. That's what we are talking about. Decide whether they... St- still desire to live in the Amish community. Um, so their their families encourage them to, like, behave morally. They're like, okay, you can go, but you better not do any naughty things. Yeah, right? Don't do anything <laughs> outside of our beliefs. So they're allowed to stretch and break some rules of their ordnung during the period. They can get in a car. They can wear modern clothes. Okay, so they allow them to have this time period. Yeah. How to... long is it that they give them to, mm. like, make their decision? I don't remember. But then if they decide they want to do the other stuff, they're shunned, right? I mean, if they decide not to come back, they're shunned. Okay. Yeah. If they're like, oh, dude, I just had some, like, LSD and I'm not coming back because I want to continue that. Or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, if you want to, like, be riding in modern cars and, like, wear, like, normal clothing and... You're out. um, If you keep that up and that's, like, what you've chosen, you can't come back. Because you can't wear, like, jeans and whatever and come back, you know? I didn't realize they actually give them that time period, They do, yeah. I didn't realize that was something they were allowing them to do. I thought it was just something that, like, some of them on the show were just deciding, like, I need to go see... No. It's called, like, something Springer. Um, Room room Springer? Something like that? I I could be wrong. The show? 
that what, the, oh, what, it's what they're allowing like that finger okay i don't know um but they also could experiment with sex drinking and drugs but approximately 90 percent of their of the teens come back really 90 percent 90 percent. that's shocking yeah 90 percent. wait so even if they've like been deflowered they and just don't even say they just don't say anything they, about yeah, it they just, just come back and everything's yep. yeah but then when they go to get married you know nobody's gonna know they're gonna just be dokey. quiet about that Okay. All right. 90%. 90%. That's that's a lot. Actually, like, shocking to me. I am kind of surprised that 90% are like, yeah, no, I want to live like this. Yeah. That's what I want to do forever. Yeah. So is there, like, a specific place that they go? Um, I don't think so. I think they can go anywhere, but I'm not positive. Okay. Not positive. So, funny, though. Yeah. It's so <laughs> hilarious. Okay. So we're going to get into our case. It is the case of Edward Gingrich, who's obviously Amish. Hmm. All right, so he was born August 12th, 1966, close to Norwich, southeastern Ontario. So there's lots of Amish people in Canada. And <laughs> there are. That's what I, said. I never knew that. I didn't either. His parents uh, were Danny and Mary, and he had seven brothers and two sisters. They were part of an older Amish community. And he was said to like to goof around and play practical jokes as a child. He liked mechanics and technology, but was destined to be a farmer because who's not? Okay. (laughs) All right. When he was 16, his family moved to a 150-acre farm in Pennsylvania. They moved there because there were no restrictions on dairy farmers in Pennsylvania, which who knew? What kind of restrictions would there be? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> but there, I guess there's some sort of restrictions, and there they were like, we can do whatever we want when it comes to dairy farming. So does that mean they're going to be doing things that... Uh, like they can have as many cows as they want? Maybe, they can or, sell as much milk as they want? I don't know. Or, I don't know. I don't... Okay. Don't know. Okay, so mm-hmm. there were six other farms that were close to their farm, but none of them were Amish. Okay. So they're moving to a place that's not like a big Amish... Um, party central, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, soon other Amish families did start to move to the area, though, and shortly the area became known as Brown Hill. So, they they moved to an area where there's tons of other farms, and then they're like, no, 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 now my Amish, um, my Amish comrades are coming to live here, and we are now Brown Hill, a rectangular area of nine square miles, eight families, 16 adults, and 43 kids. Holy shit. Right? 43 kids? There's 16 adults that made 43 kids collectively? <laughs> yes. How many kids is that per, per... I don't do math, but okay. I need to find this out. We need, I'm look. I'm going to do it. How many... <clears throat> we said 16 adults and 43 kids? Yeah, but What it's... in the actual fuck? <laughs> 43 divided by 16. No, that's not right. No, you have to divide it by eight because it's like just say it's eight families, right? So you're just really counting. You're right. You're yeah. right. You're right. Forty six divided. By no, forty three. Fucking goddamn it! Forty three divided by ah, forty three divided by eight is five point three seven five kids each. And remember, it said that uh, earlier. Some of my stats were that the kind of the average is six children per family. Yeah. No, that's a no. <laughs> That's a no for me. <laughs> By June of 1985, Ed was 19, and Brown Hill now has a population of 93. I can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> the Gingrich family opened a sawmill 
So they're dairy farmers, and now they have a sawmill. They hoped it would draw more Amish people to the area. And um, Ed really liked to work on the mechanical side of the sawmill. He also started helping out mechanically at a non-Amish farm, the Zimmers. He started skipping church mm -mm, so that he could (laughs) spend time at the Zimmer farm. And Ed told Zimmer that he was thinking of leaving the Amish community. Okay. Oh, no. All right. Ed meets an Amish woman named Katie, and she is the oldest of her siblings not married. Oh, no. Okay. So she is also the niece of the bishop. So she's almost got an in, you know? All right. They begin to spend time together, and they see each other for about a year, and then they decide that it's time to get married because... They're starting to feel, like, immense pressure from the community. And if he didn't marry Katie, the community was going to pretty much shun him. No, oh, you better get married or you're right? out. Or you're out. Better start growing that beard. How old is he? 19? Oh, at this time, yeah, I think he's around 19, maybe 20, 21. And they're like, like nope, getting too old now. Mm-hmm. Better yeah. get wifed up. And she's the oldest of her siblings, and she's not married, and her siblings are. So she's looking like a hag. What if you just can't grow a beard at all? You know how some dudes... I told some you when you had alopecia. But, but even if you don't have alopecia, some guys just can't really grow a beard. Then you're in trouble. You better put a clip-on beard. <laughs> what is... How does that work, I wonder? I don't know. Oh, my God. Okay, so he has something to decide at this point. So, are you going to take your chances in the non... Or take your chances in the English world. So that's what they call non-Amish. The English, right? The English world. Or marry Katie and continue living a lie. So, because he doesn't want to be there anymore, really. He's just kind of like, I'm really interested in other things. But, all right. But he decides, you know, it's not time to take a gamble. I'm going to marry Katie. Sure. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. sounds like the right choice. Right? All right. So here's some things that have to happen if you want to get married. Okay? Oh, my God. (laughs) I told you this is fascinating. All right, an Amish couple must take several steps before they can marry. You need proper certification of membership, and you have to request that from the church. So you have to be, like, a member of the Amish church and community. Okay. Which they are. All couples that plan to marry are published, and the, de- and the deacon is responsible for announcing the names of the girls and the men they plan to marry. So... I guess it's just more announced, not really published. You know what I mean? Well, it's kind of like a pre- like a I was going to say pregnancy announcement, kind of like a marriage announcement in like a newspaper yeah, or something. Kind of, yeah. The father then announced the date and time of the wedding and invite members to attend. So the father gets to do that. Oh, the fathers, the, both the fathers get to do that. So like, it's not even your thing. They're, it's like the dads are like, no, I'll tell you who's coming. Yeah. Uh, the it's a show. It's like yeah. a to-do for the families. For sure. Well, that's what weddings are anyway. They're Pretty never much. for the people. No, they're not. The betrothed couple does not attend the church service on the Sunday. They are published. Instead, the young woman prepares a meal for her fiancé, and they enjoy dinner alone at her home. When the bride's family returns from church, the daughter formally introduces her fiancé to the parents, like they don't know who he is. <laughs> what? It's so weird. Um, unlike English engagement, the future groom does not give her a diamond. He may give her china or a clock. China or a clock. <laughs> All right. After being published, the young people have just a few days before the ceremony. So the girl helps her mother prepare for the wedding and feast, which takes place in the bride's parents' home. And during this time, the future husband keeps busy extending personal invitations to members of the church district that the father said they were inviting. 
Okay. The Amish bride makes their own wedding dress <laughs> that will become their church attire. Oh, she has to wear this to church now after, too? Mm-hmm. All the time? Yeah. And oh, they God. wear a black prayer veil, because now she's married, right? Okay. The service lasts three hours. Three hours? For what? I don't know. <laughs> All kinds of stuff. After the service, there is a day-long celebration at the bride's parents' house. The whole day. Uh, Ed and Katie did all these things, and they're married on December 2nd, 1986. And they live in her parents' basement until until a home is available for them. Do they have to build their own house, too? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) How did you know? (laughs) All right. In March of 1987, Ed and his family construct a one-story house for Katie and Ed. The home was intended to be a temporary residence until Katie would begin to bear children. Oh, my God. So, again, gosh, I hope you can bear children. Yeah. Hope you can grow a beard and bear children. So, this didn't take long, though, for them. And shortly after moving into their home, Katie became pregnant. Well, yeah. Imagine that. mm Mm-hmm. Ed was not exactly pleased with the news. But, I mean, what did he expect, right? He did, though, say, okay, well, if you're going to be pregnant, I want it to be a boy. Oh, okay, yeah, because we can just decide that. Totally. Yeah. So, thankfully, Katie gave birth to their son, who they named Daniel. So, they got a boy. So, Ed is starting to feel a bit off. Um, He's feeling increased pressure since he now has a family. And he starts to stay away from home as much as he can because he doesn't want that. Because, remember, he didn't want to get married either. And now he's married and he has a kid. So... He doesn't really tell Katie where he's spending his time, and he's, and it starts to lead to issues in their marriage because no uh, first time or mother of any sort wants your husband to just, just like be gone hit all the road. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, yep. not here for that. Nope. By the summer of 1988, they move into a slightly larger house and were married for almost two years at this point. And Ed at this time starts to complain that he's like starting to feel dizzy all the time. And he stops eating for the most part. He just is barely eating. And he starts to take super, super long naps. Okay, so Katie tries to get Ed to see a, quote, doctor in the Amish community. But the doctor is a chiropractor whose practice is 50 miles from the Amish settlement. Okay, so you don't, remember we talked about this. You don't really get to see a doctor, like a medical doctor. Right. Okay, so the doctor, Merritt W. Terrell, practices, quote, drug-less medicine, which I'm not opposed to that, you know, but what he does is crazy. Yeah. All right, so the doctor asks... Drugless medicine. Yeah, like a homeopath or something would be awesome, right? But this is different. Okay. So the doctor asks Ed to write on a piece of paper... And then he places the piece of paper into a machine that will, quote, read the writing and determine what is wrong with the patient. Oh, okay. (laughs) So what is he, a fucking wizard? (laughs) Yeah, he goes to Hogwarts. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, I'm sorry. How does he have a machine he's allowed to use? Is this an Amish doctor? Yeah. Good call. He's he's allowed to use that's going to magically tell them this does not sound Amish But you know what? It could be a machine that, like, he has to crank. Oh, okay. So if it's a cranking machine. This is some wizardry bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> so the machine. So you have to sprinkle some fucking something, something on it first? Too. Probably. The machine reveals that Ed needs his toes pulled. What? 
His heels rubbed and some black strap molasses to purify his blood. <laughs> You're like, what? What the fuck does toes pulled mean? <laughs> I'm getting really uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't know why that just really like didn't hit right with me. What the fuck does getting your toes pulled mean? <laughs> Literally, he pulls his toes. Cat. He just pulls on them. Yes. What? <laughs> and his heels rubbed and some blackstrap molasses. So blackstrap molasses can do good things for you, but I don't think it can cure, like, Ed's ailments, okay? So he pays 50, or he pays $25 for the visit and goes for follow-up visits for the following months. And so he gets his toes pulled, his heels rubbed, and he's taking blackstrap molasses. I don't know why that really just makes my stomach hurt. <laughs> you don't want your toes pulled? It's weird. <laughs> it is weird. Okay. But <laughs> this story is so fucked up. I can't. <laughs> okay. By Thanksgiving, guess what? Katie's pregnant. Oh, go figure. And does not seem to have gotten any better. Many... Elders, though, are like... Oh, you mean getting your toes pulled and your heels rubbed <laughs> doesn't fix your problems? Interesting. It doesn't. I would have never guessed. I know, right? It's surprising. It's fucking wild. So, the elders are like, Ed is faking, and he wants to get out of work, and he wants to blame, like, blame it on, like, some possible illness, like, mental or physical, but really, he hasn't been going to church, Oh. And he's just like being an ass pretty yeah. much. They're just not happy with him because uh-huh. he's, they're like, we don't believe him because he's not living like the life he's supposed to be leading right now. So March of 1989, Katie gives birth to their second child. Thank God it's a boy. It's a boy named Enos. Ed still is not interested in being a family man. Maybe you should stop like having sex with your wife. Yeah. All right. Around the same time, the sawmill burns down, mm-hmm. and Ed plans to rebuild the mill, so it's kind of giving him a purpose. He starts to travel more during this rebuilding process to start acquiring materials because they don't have everything they need, and he's having more interaction with the non-Amish community. So while he's traveling, he starts to physically feel better. Uh, and then around the same time, though, Katie is pregnant again. So when he comes home from his travels, like, she gets pregnant, and then he's like, peace and he goes off and travels again so he feels better when he's not around his family unit for the most part interesting he, he just wants to be away and he's mind like, over matter mm-hmm. <laughs> there's also this thing called abstinence that i think he should probably try <laughs> probably march 13th 1990 katie gives birth to their daughter oh no oh i guess we get to find out what happens when you don't have a boy yeah their daughter's name not that it matters because he doesn't give a fuck about the other two anyway right exactly so her name is mary at this time the sawmill is complete but ed decides now he doesn't want to work there anymore so he wants to place his focus back on mechanics so he's like i'm done traveling i rebuilt the sawmill i don't want to work there he's still feeling better so he hasn't been back to his doctor for six months okay so, around this time, uh, a non-Amish man named Dave Lindsay stops by the sawmill to sell a truckload of logs, and he becomes fast friends with Dave. I mean, with Ed. With Ed, okay. Dave is an evangelical, and he feels he is called to save Amish people. Christians believe that faith alone guarantees a place in heaven, while Amish believe that sinners must be held accountable, and getting into heaven requires not just faith, but hard work. So... Throughout Amish history, just a little, like, background, 
Christian missionaries have felt it their duty to spread their, their version of God's word to the Amish and on several occasions penetrate and convert entire Amish families. So Dave tells Ed about his beliefs and what is wrong with Amish people. So Ed, okay. But Ed's already feeling it, right? Yeah. They start meeting once a week at Ed's now machine shop. And he starts to believe, Ed, that Amish might not have all the answers. No. You think? Yeah. But guess what? Now he's starting to feel sick again. Oh. And he starts to complain of being itchy and having an earache. Problems? <laughs> You're looking, she's looking at me I don't so funny. I don't understand what. Okay. All right. It's okay. So problems between Ed and Katie continue to grow, obviously. He now refuses refuses to have sex with Katie because he doesn't want to get her pregnant. Oh, good. Yeah, imagine that. He figured it out. Finally. Wild. And he begins staying three out kids late. In. Yeah, three kids in. He's like, that's what's happening. Yeah. Um, he begins staying out late and he totally ignores Katie and the children. Yeah. So whenever Ed speaks to Katie, um, he frightens her with talks of modernization or leaving the Amish lifestyle. And Katie fears that if her uncle, Bishop Settler, learns that Ed is thinking such things, that they would both be, like, excommunicated for good, right? So in March of 1991, Katie and Ed get into a physical altercation about Katie wanting a garden plowed for her and Ed plowing through her existing garden. So she's like, I want a garden, and Ed's like, okay, fine. So he just plows her existing garden like an asshole. Ugh. So she hits him in the chest with her hoe, ah! and Ed smacks Katie across the face. So this is getting bad. Okay. This made their already strange marriage so much worse, and they fight constantly, and Ed's like, peace out again. He stays out, like, really late into the night, because he doesn't want to be there. And then in September of 1991, Ed decides he needs to do something else to get busy. So he lays the foundation for another home, because they have too many kids now, and they can't stay in their, like, one-story home. Uh, when the home is finally finished, they move in and they have a celebration. And Katie and Ed visibly has something going on between them. And her, Katie's mom offers her daughter some Xanax. So I don't know why she has Xanax. How the fuck does this Amish woman have Xanax? I don't know. She must have been taking it from somewhere. She's like, fuck this Amish life. And she's like taking yeah. Xanax. Katie, though, she's like, no, no, no. That's not the Amish way. This reminds me of the Mandalorian. Yeah. This is the way. This is not the way. <laughs> Okay, so it becomes known that Katie is being beaten by Ed. He sends to hate. He seems to hate his home life. They fight verbally and physically. But guess what? No one does anything. Nobody. Just here's a Xanax. Mm. All right. So at this point, Ed starts to feel super, super ill, and he's like, "I'm itchy. My hair is tingly, and he loses his appetite. He feels dizzy, and he feels like his brain is on fire. And he says he's beginning to see visions." Okay. So he believes these visions are showing him that both Katie and the bishop are against him, stopping at nothing to assure his soul's damnation. He starts walking around the room, talking in a high-pitched voice, and he tells Katie of his vision. And she's like, no, 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 no. I am not telling anybody this. Yeah, this because, is weird. But she also doesn't tell, like, she tells no one. She doesn't seek help, nothing, okay? So uh, as dusk turns to dawn, Ed leaps out of bed shook Katie awake and as Katie came to she could hear Ed talking to himself in a really strange voice and so she's like Ed what are you doing he said I've had a vision a vision from God she's like what do you mean I tried to kill the older leader but he would not die I couldn't conquer him 
So Katie has no idea what he's talking about. She's like, what leader? Bishop Shetler. I've got to kill the older leader to make room for the new religion. I couldn't do it because he wouldn't die. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't kill him. The devil wants my soul. He's fighting Jesus for my soul. Okay. In the middle of the night, I'd be like, oh, God. So Ed seems to the rest of the community to have some sort of sickness that is making him very jittery and stranger than usual, they say. Stranger than usual. They're not sure exactly what is afflicting him. And, like, they're like, is he just losing his faith? Is he really sick? Like, what is going on? Because he's acting a little wackadoodle. Yeah. March 23rd, 1992. At this point, Katie cannot even get him out of bed. So he's acting like he can't get out of bed at all. Um, But every once in a while, he'll start to spit at the ceiling, which is gross. And how do you get it all the way to the ceiling? But um, Saying that the way the spit landed was a message. Ew. So Katie sends her children to her parents' house and gets the bishop to come over. So the bishop, he's like, immediately sends word to the elders and to Ed's family Um, that Ed has been seized by the devil and their presence is required at once to help pray against Satan. As Ed's family and the elders enter the room, Ed begins flailing about and they have to actually restrain him at this point because he's acting like a freaking lunatic. Uh, He announces that his heart is tearing loose from his body and then he flails on the floor. So the men hold him down. They believe he's been taken over by Satan for sure at this point. Oh, so are we about to have an exorcism? So, yeah. Well, they start praying for the demons to leave Ed and Ed starts to look and he starts to look like himself again and he gets back into bed. But then he takes a nap and he wakes up and he starts crawling on all fours all around. No, 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 (laughs) no. I wasn't expecting this to take this kind of a turn. (laughs) What have you done? (laughs) It's not me, it's Ed. So the men come back over because they're like, okay, now he's doing something else fucking weird. We thought we fixed him. So, and they're like, okay, we have to pray again. But the Ed is just not having it. He's howling, he's spitting, he's crawling under his cot and like sleeping under his cot. So they're like, okay, Ed needs to go back to see a doctor. The non-medical doctor. The non-medical doctor. Okay. When, but only when he's feeling up to it. Okay. <laughs> that makes no sense. I mean, I would be like, he's got to go, or I got to go. I'm just so confused. I mean, what would you do? Thing. Would you stay there? Fuck no, I wouldn't stay in that house with him. Me either. All right. So for the rest of this day, because, you know, he's got to go to the doctor when he's feeling like it, like he needs to go, okay. which is ridiculous. Yeah. So for the rest of the day, he goes back and forth from sleeping, complaining of his body parts falling off, and even saying his heart has jumped from one side of his chest to the other side of his chest. And one of his friends, Emma, uh, she is an English woman, right? So non-Amish. She gives Ed some Xanax, but he ends up taking 15, 15 Xanax. Okay. Yikes. So I think that makes him go to sleep. Where's everybody getting the Xanax This from? one's a non-Amish chick. Okay. Yeah. So she's but just like. But still, they're just giving it out like candy out there? Pretty what? much. She gave him. It says that. I read that, you know, some Xanax, but how'd he get 15? 15. You yeah. don't give a crazy person 15 Xanax. No. So anyway. So the next day, because he passed out. Um, he wakes up with more visions and more spitting and more being crazy, flailing about. It has to be restrained again. So Katie and the bishops go to the neighbor's house, and they finally decide maybe we should call an ambulance. Oh. <laughs> you think? I do. So as the paramedics enter the house, Ed begins screaming. He says, don't kill me. And he stands up and he runs for the door. 
But as, so he's trying to escape, but as he runs, his brothers like tackle him to the ground and restrain him. So this is just a shit show. He finally stops fighting and he stands up. He looks over at Katie and he just kind of like smiles at her weirdly. And she's like, okay. So without warning, Katie shocks everyone by punching him in the face. <laughs> and she Go knows, girl. All right. She's just like, fuck you, you asshole. Cause he just like, is acting like a lunatic and making her life miserable and then smiles like mockingly at her. So the paramedics are just like, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Woo. Uh, After she punches him and he's on the floor, he stands up. And then it takes seven men to restrain him and strap him to a cot. Because I think he probably wanted to go get her, right? Before leaving, the paramedics inform Katie that they're taking Ed to a hospital in Erie. And that she should arrange transportation to meet them there. I don't know why she can't ride with him. Yeah. But maybe she's going well, to. Well, I mean, they did just. In a, probably oh, in a yeah. Car. She can't do that. Yeah. So an English neighbor or agrees. An right. To take Katie and Ed's family. And they're on their way. So, like, usually there's, like, one person that can drive in the whole thing. So... All right, the doctor at the hospital asks Ed if he can stand up on his own, and he's, like, super calm. And he's like, yeah, I can. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to have you speak with the psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist is like, he seems totally fine. Mm-hmm. So this reminded Katie of how Ed would change his attitude and personality when he was at the house with her and the kids, and then he was away from the house with, like, non-Amish yeah. people, right? Yeah, he was normal, yeah. Yeah. So the doctor wondered if Ed was maybe playing a joke on Katie. Which, nice joke. Yeah. And he's just dismissed from the hospital and, like, nothing's wrong with them. They're, they're like, we can't find anything wrong with him. Uh, when Katie and Ed start to walk away, Ed tells Katie that he knows she wants to get rid of him and be with his brother, who's already having an affair with her. What? Uh-huh. And Katie's like, what? So she's super shocked and she's like, no, you need to go back. So she puts him back in the hospital and he's admitted to the psych ward. Because okay. she's like, okay, you literally just got out, and now you're saying some crazy shit. So you yeah, back not, inside. Yeah, not bringing your ass home. Back inside. Yeah, can't blame her there. No. So the bishop believed that Ed had been shown the world of the devil by associating with all of these, like, non-Amish evangelicals. His non-Amish friends believe he's suffering from living within the confines of a world that he can no longer associate with. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> right? March 25th, he is moved to a private room, and he can have visitors. Uh, he's on a mixture of drugs to stabilize his mood, and the doctors are leaning towards paranoid schizophrenia as the diagnosis. Interesting. He doesn't remember anything from the next few days. April 3rd, 1992. He's discharged from the hospital. He's been prescribed drugs, but he complains to the doctors that these drugs make him feel tired and slow. He is like weekly appointments set up for the follow up, and at these appointments, Ed, you know, they just he continues to complain about the drugs that he's been prescribed. So the doctors advise that sometimes it can take a while to figure out the correct combination of drugs for like an individual. But Ed just he's like, no, mm -mm, I don't have any interest in this. So he doesn't have faith in medicine because he's Amish, and he doesn't like how this medicine is making him feel. So on April twenty eighth, twenty five days after he's discharged. He and Katie decide that he should quit taking his drugs and he should go back to the the toe-pulling chiropractor. Okay. (laughs) You're so uncomfortable. (laughs) Super soon after he's off the drugs, he starts to complain of headaches like his head may explode. So Katie finds him on several occasions standing in the middle of the room, pulling out his hair, sometimes pulling it out and screaming that his head is on fire. He also says that people are listening in on his thoughts and that his organs keep moving 
for like from side to side or like disappearing from inside his body. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. He says that God is speaking to him in his brother's voice and Satan is speaking to him in a woman's voice, telling him that Katie is keeping him from salvation. Oh. Kill her, Satan would tell him. Oh. Kill her to save yourself. And yeah, that's not... That would make you feel good. And Ed's would, like, rarely sleep and would scratch his dry skin until it was bleeding. Ugh. Yeah. He's not doing well. At night, he would walk around the house, talking to himself, singing, and reading the Bible. So, May 2nd, 1992, Ed tells Katie he's going to kill himself. So, to prevent this, Katie finds all of his guns and hides them in the shed. He starts to speak gibberish, opening all the windows of the house, and it's freezing outside at this point, climbs out of the window and jumps 10 feet to the dirt below. He starts to run to the road and his family members go and find him. He escapes again and they take him back into the house. Okay. This is a fucking shit show. So this craziness continues. He's barking like a dog, speaking in a high-pitched voice, fighting with the devil and with God. But, you know, it's like his brother's voice and like a woman's voice. He's crawling around on all fours, talking to himself, telling everyone that his heart is in the wrong spot, like it traveled to the other side of his body. His mother-in-law decides that Ed needs to go to Jamestown to the psychiatric hospital. Yeah. So Katie's mom's like, nope, this is bad. They admit him into the hospital again. After 10 days, guess what? He's released. Yep, he's released. Four days after he's released, he again, along with Katie, decided to get off the medicine. Okay. Girl, come on. This is just like a cycle. I don't understand. I understand that, like, you don't want to take drugs, but, like... Yeah, but, like, his ass needs to stay there. (laughs) I agree. Probably forever. Agree. So, instead of going back to the hospital... May 21st, 1992, he goes back to the chiropractor to get his toes pulled and is again given blackstrap molasses. And he's lucid and uh, he's like, Katie, you know, maybe we should get a divorce. <laughs> you think? But Katie's like, no way. Like, off the table, yeah, not I happening. Yeah, I get excommunicated. Yeah, because that's like the biggest thing. All right, February of 1994, Ed starts to see a giant rabbit looking into his house <laughs> through the window looking at him. Now, that's when you know you've gone fucking buck wild. This is Alice in Wonderland. Right? He spends most of the winter, like, away from the window, and reading his Bible and taking naps. And he says he feels so sick that he will, he's, like, not even going to go to the chiropractor anymore. He's like, I don't, I don't feel good. I can't leave. Okay. March 94, Ed's brother and his father come over to help Katie paint a bedroom. Because Ed's not doing shit, so she needs something painted, so they come. When Ed's father is getting ready to leave, he sees Ed having a psychotic episode and asks if he would be opposed to seeing a real doctor again. So even all these Amish people are like, dude, yeah. you need to go to a you doctor. You should go to a real doctor. <laughs> I know. Ed says he'll go, but he's like freaked out because he doesn't want to be stuck in the hospital again. And he's, he's like wigged out. So his brother comes up with an idea to take Ed to a faith healer who cures people by staring at them. His father doesn't know that the father doesn't love the idea, but he's, yeah. a, but he's at a loss. So he's like, fine, whatever you guys want to do. Just do something. Just go somewhere. Go get stared at. It's fine. <laughs> so Ed starts to constantly talk about death and believes that both his brothers and Katie are trying to poison him. So hello, paranoid schizophrenia. Yeah. I mean, it's not a joke, right? Get the fuck out, guys. That's all I have to say. March 17th, 94. Ed's sitting in the machine shop reading his Bible, and his friend Sid comes by and sees that his friend is not doing well. So 
Sid speaks with Ed's family about his concerns, and then Ed joins them saying that he is really thinking about suicide. So Sid takes Ed, Katie, and his dad to see an Amish herbalist. The eye, this guy who stares at you. He's the is an, herm- an herbalist. Okay. Yeah, he's he's called the eye reader. So oh. it's not a machine anymore. It's an eye oh. reader. He stares into Ed's eyes and prescribes him some herbs, and Ed is lethargic and quiet on the way home. The next day, the family decided to take him back to the chiropractor, the, the toe-pulling chiropractor, and uh, they do not take him to a real doctor. Okay. They return home with the plan that Ed's brother will come over to stay with Ed while Katie attends a dinner for an Amish friend with her sister-in-law. So they're supposed to go to all together, but the brother's like, no, 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 no. He cannot go. That's going to be insane. So yeah, I'll he's stay. he's not going anywhere. He is not going. March 19th, 94. While Katie's getting ready to go to dinner, Ed wakes up from his nap. She's singing in the kitchen, and Ed starts just sobbing in the other room. So, finally, you know, the sobbing start stops. So, the sobbing stops. And when Katie turns around, Ed's, like, standing right next to her. She's like, what the fuck? So, then, he just starts, he just slams his fist in the middle of her face. And she falls to the floor. Ed punches her over and over in the face. And the children, all three, they're little, they're right there. Just standing right there. They're like... My dad is punching my mom in the face. Remember, she's trying to get ready to go to a dinner that he's not allowed to go to. Yeah. So Katie tells her six-year-old son to run and get help. I can't even imagine. You tell your six-year-old, like, go. You have to go get help. Um, The little boy has to run a half a mile to Ed's brother's house. And when the little boy and his uncle get to Ed and Katie's house, another of the kids, a three-year-old, is standing outside the house crying. So we're going to go... Back kind of to everything that's happening, but... So Ed's brother goes into the house and finds Ed straddling Katie, still continuing to punch her in the face. So at this point, she's dead. And you've... Yeah. And beyond recognition. And his brother, he's like, like, what the... Like, what the fuck? You know? Like, what is happening? And then he realizes that Ed's like lost it. He's like, dude, I'm in danger. This, This little boy's in danger. So he leaves and heads to the neighbor's house to get help. He doesn't take the kids. What? Nope. Dumbass, right? As the English neighbor opens the door, he could tell that, you know, his brother Dan was in desperate state of shock. He said, there's been an accident, my brothers. Um, Can I use your phone? So sensing the seriousness of the situation, you know, the Englishman lets him use the phone. He dials 911. And you hear, what is your emergency? A murder is being occurred. My brother is killing his wife. Where is the emergency taking place? Rockdale Township, the home of Edward D. Gingrich, an Amish house next to the sawmill at the Frisbee Town and Sturgis Road intersection. Before ending the call, Dan tells the operator he would meet the police at the Sturgis and Frisbee Town intersection. He's not even going back to the house. He's going to just go wait for the police or the ambulance or whoever. So, meanwhile... Ed goes outside, puts on his boots, walks back into the house, and begins to stomp on Katie's face. Oh, good lord. This gets pretty bad. It's just a warning. So stomping her skull completely as the kids are standing right next to him watching him. He's aware enough to go get his boots. Why are the children standing there watching? They're so little. Like, one's three, one's six, and I think one's, like, one. They don't know. They're just, like, like your whole... 
like the only place that's safe, like your people that are safe for you are doing something insane. Like, where do you go? You don't know what to do. Right. And your fucking uncle just left you. Oh my God. So, uh, Ed then rips off Katie's clothes. He uses a kitchen knife. Oh God. It gets bad. And he opens up her stomach with a seven inch gash. He removes her spleen, her heart, her lungs, her intestine, her ovaries, and her uterus, and he stacks all of them in a pile next to her body and then shoves the knife inside of it. He then goes to the sink, washes up, he throws his Bible into the fire into the fireplace, and he tells the children to put their coats on. He's like, I'm taking you to granddad's, and then I'm gonna and then he's he doesn't say this to them, but he's gonna go back and burn the house down. So they're walking, just walking. The coats are on. They're walking down the street. And he notices a neighbor who needs help getting his car unstuck. And so he goes and helps the neighbor free the car. And he just has the kids just waiting for him. Um, so at this point, the Mill Village ambulance crew pulls up and sees that Ed is, like, calmly walking down the street with his kids. And they believe that maybe Ed's just feeling better and that nothing really happened after all because nothing seems weird. And as Ed is approached, one of the paramedics say, you know, where are you heading? He's like, I'm going to my dad's house. Where's your wife? You wouldn't understand, he said. So since Ed is no longer in the house, the paramedics decide that one of them would follow Ed while the others go to the house. The paramedics, like, are immediately like, what the fuck when they walk in here, right? So when they enter the kitchen, they're just, like, speechless because Katie's nude body is sprawled out on the floor. Most of her face is gone. Her organs are lying there. Like we said, there's nothing you can do. Like, she's gone. Following the crime scene investigation... Detectives begin interviewing Ed. So they they get him. They take him to the police station. They start... Other people are investigating the crime scene. They're like, hey, we need to talk to him. So he gets read his Miranda rights. He signs a waiver from a Lord Willing. I think it's somebody that's part of their community. So the initial session was like unrecorded. Well, that's not great. Um, and afterward, Ed was driven to Cambridge Springs and he's arraigned. So then by one o'clock in the morning, the men are back in the interrogation room. And this time they have a tape recorder. So they place it in front of Ed and they're like, you know, do you know what a tape recorder is? And he's like, uh-huh. So I explained to you and I read to you that, uh, that form that says you have the right to remain silent and whatnot. You remember that. Do you understand? So Ed stares at them, and then he shakes his head no. So you do not, the investigator asked. You understand the stuff you say can be held against you about what went on today. Do you understand that? And Ed's like, how do you mean? Well, things that you could say could be held in a court of law. Do you understand that? Yeah, and religion, he says. What? Right? Law and religion. And you have the right to an attorney. Do you understand what an attorney is? Yeah, so you understand. Yeah, but in our religion, we will not have done that, Ed said. It was, like, really fucked up. We have to go with the law, and the law says I have to tell you this. Do you understand? He says no. It's like talk. I mean, yeah. I was going to say it's like talking to a crazy person, yeah. but yeah, it is. You have the right to attorney. You understand that? Yeah. What I'm thinking, my mind is confused. I'm going to tell you that right now, but the reason we don't use the number, the social security number, because of the beat, the beat somewhere, the computer, in fact, we feel we can track our minds. So what? So Ed is obviously confused and having a hard time focusing on what's happening, right? Uh, okay, let's get back on track. <laughs> and uh, so that you can understand what I have explained to you on that piece of paper. 
He's like, so you get it? And he's like, yeah. I explained that you do not have to talk to me if you do not want to. Do you understand that? It's like they have to make sure. Because he's being like, well, the computer and what? And he says, yeah. Okay. I want to try and understand exactly what happened to Katie. Why did you kill Katie? For some reason, I think we could still save her, he said. What? No, we cannot save her. Katie, Katie is dead and you know Katie is dead. Yeah, I know. Why did I kill her? I felt it was a gain. A gain for who? A gain for us people. All the people? Yeah, not just my religion. Why? Because if I get back on track, it will come yet. Maybe you can explain to me why you felt you had to remove Katie's brain and work your way from the brain down. Explain that to me. You know how we, the human beings, were made? Yes, the investigator replied, from the top down. That's right. I had it in my mind that if I work from the top down, then I'm so lost. I don't know what to say. What? What? So that doesn't make any sense. So the remainder of this interrogation lasts approximately like, like an hour. And he's trying his best to describe the murder and, like, what happened to him before the murder. Like, why he was, like, wigging out, right? Yeah. And most of his statements were bizarre and incomprehensible, such as what I just read to you. Um, and then he's just taken to Crawford County Jail and placed in a holding cell. Because I don't think they know what to do yet. Yeah. They're like, we know he did it, but, like, he seems not in his right mind at all, right? So, following an autopsy, Katie's remains were delivered to Ed's father's house, which I found weird. Yeah, what the fuck? Normally, an Amish wake is held at the descendant's residence, so it would be held at her house. Um, But due to the circumstances, it's decided that uh, the wake would be held at Ed's father's house. So, the men dig Katie's grave while the mothers and sisters wash and prepare her body. Oh, what? Right? I know. They don't do anything with, like, common, normal things that we would do. Like, they take care of it on their own. But her... Okay. Yep. So, rather than dress her in her wedding gown, because nobody wants that, her body is wrapped in black linen and placed in a pine coffin. The coffin was then bridged across two chairs for the eventual viewing the following day. I don't think you need to view her body. No. Mm-mm. I don't even know how they walk. Okay. I, that, yeah. I'm, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm right there. As preparations for her funeral are taking place, Ed is moved from the jail to a state mental hospital in North Warren, Pennsylvania, for a psychiatric evaluation. So during the move, um, Ed suspects that the officers are taking him to the woods to shoot him. I think they need to give him some medicine. I think he's fucking lost it. Yeah. And they argue with him briefly. And then he finally agrees to cooperate because they're like, we're not taking you to the woods to shoot you. We're taking you to a hospital to get you help. Even though there's an, like an insanity defense, right? But they're, they have a pretty low success rate in the United States. But Ed's attorneys uh, were like, no, no, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. He's <laughs> clearly insane. Right. So in, establish, in establishing why Ed is insane, they're like, we have two possibilities we can go with. Um, his psychosis was a result of Amish inbreeding, <laughs> or his brain has been damaged by prolonged exposure to toxic gunk fumes. So I think you're talking about from one of the places he worked at. Okay. Weird. 
October 2nd, 93, Ed's attorney at a, a routine pretrial discovery hearing announced to the court they're planning on using the insanity defense. Uh, this news is no surprise to the prosecution because they're already busy looking for their own experts to counter the claim. Yeah. So, in January, Dr. Lawson F. Bernstein, Jr., a professor of psych psychiatry from the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine, was hired by the defense. So, following his review of Ed's confession and a one-on-one -on -one interview with the defendant, Dr. Bernstein determined that Ed lacked the mental capacity to appreciate the nature of his act and therefore could not discern right from wrong. What do you think? Do you think he could discern right from wrong? I'm not really sure. He fucking <laughs> lost it. But then afterwards was just like normal. So I don't know. I don't either yet. I'm but... not, I'm really not sure how I feel about this yet. <laughs> oh, my, oh God. All right. So in February, the prosecution sent the psychiatric report to uh, Dr. Philip J. Resnick, professor of psychiatry at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio. Longest name. In a March letter to the prosecution, Dr. Resnick wrote this. It is my opinion that the authors of the reports had a reasonable basis for concluding that Mr. Gingrich was severely ill and did not know the wrongfulness of killing his wife at the time of the homicide. So everybody's kind of agreeing that he's like a loony tune. With the trial date approaching, the prosecution offered the defense a plea bargain. They're like, accept uh, a plea of mentally ill but guilty of murder in the third degree in exchange for a sentence of 10 years. Bullshit. He should not be in there for 10 years. Uh, Ed would be eligible for parole after serving just five no, years. Uh, no. Five. The defense felt that the prosecution would lose their case at the trial and declined the offer. They're like, nope, we're going to win. Ed's attorney had taken it for granted that his family would be willing to stand behind him and testify as well. And the prosecution had done the same in thinking that they would be willing to testify against Ed. However, his whole Amish community treated both defense and prosecution with hostility. And every member refused to testify unless subpoenaed. And Ed was obviously, at this point, shunned by his community. On the morning of March 24th, 94, at the Crawford County Courthouse in Meadville, Pennsylvania, the trial of Edward Gingrich began. Whether anyone at the time realized it or not, this was a precedent-setting event and would mark the first Amish murder trial in the U.S. judicial, judicial history. Wow. So, this had never, ever happened before. Yeah. I don't know if it's happened since, but... Head prosecutor Douglas Ferguson opened with a brief ad address, brief address, consisting of the events leading up to Katie's death and... Ed's ultimate arrest, and he stressed to the jury that Ed was not legally insane at the time of the murder and should not be excused for this action. So, back to Donald Lewis, um, appointed by the court to represent Ed. He was the most successful criminal defendant attorney to the region, by the way. So, why would they give him that attorney? I don't know why they would do that. Yeah. Um, but he wasted, like, little time getting to the point. He's like, we are about to hear the testimony that will stay with us forever. I am honored to be able to represent Edward Gingrich to protect his rights during this traumatic time in his life. Together, we will search for the truth because that is what a trial is about, a search for the truth. All right, Lewis went on to describe Ed's exposure to the gunk fumes. Oh, so that's a brake cleaner. And his lengthy mental illness following the opening speech, the court declared a 10-minute recess so the prosecution could prepare. As the jury filed back into the courtroom, they were greeted by the Commonwealth 
uh, first exhibit. So that is a childlike drawing depicting Katie's corpse produced specially for the jury. So the prosecution had made the decision to keep the crime scene photos from the jury and instead like literally drew like a childlike drawing of what was found at the crime scene. Why would they not want to show the actual crime scene photos? So they said their intent was to spare the jury the brutality of the act. And, but I feel every, like they need to see that. Agreed. Everyone said the drawing dehumanized Katie and tri- trivialized her death. Yeah. Which is true. Like, if I'm murdered like that, you better show yeah, my you shit. you better show it. Mm-hmm. I want people to know how fucking bad it was. Right? I mean, it was whole. Oh, my God. The prosecution's first witness was Dr. Carl E. Williams, a forensic pathologist from Elwood City, Pennsylvania. And even though Dr. Williams had not performed Katie's autopsy, he was called to testify to the reports of her autopsy. Okay. The doctor who performed the actual autopsy had left the county to work in another state. The fact the prosecution did did not bother to bring that doctor back... Um, was yet another disturbing blunder, they thought. They're like, why wouldn't you bring him back? Yeah. Like, subpoena him. He'd have to come. Uh, this error, in combination with the childlike drawing, suggested that the prosecution placed little importance on their evidence, is what people were concluding. So, now, Dr. L, you know, the chiropractor who pull, pulls his toes, he comes in. He's wearing a blue suit, a five-gallon Stetson hat, cowboy boots, and is called to the stand and questioned about the day of Katie's murder. So, did you treat him on that occasion, the day of the murder? Yes, I adjusted the patient's head. How did you do it? I manipulated the scalp. Did Ed Gingrich appear different that day? No. He was acting normal? Yes. You saw no signs of mental illness? No. I have no further questions. Okay. All right, so it's Lewis, the defense attorney's term. How long have you been treating the defendant? Several years. Were you treating him for emotional problems? Yes. And what was your diagnosis? He had a virus in the brain. Are you a psychiatrist? No. Are you a medical doctor? No. Are you a psychologist? No. Then why are you treating Ed for depression? Because he complained about it. Because he complained about it? Yes. You were treating Ed for emotional problems. Yes. I have no further questions. So, hello, quackadoodle, right? It's like, what? So, Katie's mother, Emma, is now subpoenaed by the court and um, was the next to testify on behalf of the prosecution. So, as she comes up, Ed starts to cry. Okay, so it's, I guess, the first time. How did the defendant and his wife, the victim, get along? I don't know how to answer that. What? When was the last time you saw the defendant before Katie's death? He was putting up ice. At your house? Yes. Did you notice anything unusual about him? No. That wasn't helpful. Ferguson asked a few more questions and then turned Emma over to Lewis, who declined cross-examination because he's obviously seeing that she's not going to be helpful at all. Yeah. All right. Danny Gingrich was the next witness called by the prosecution. And during Danny's testimony, he chronicled the events that took place the day of Katie's death and was asked to read the statement he had given to the state police on the night of her murder. And on cross-examination, the defendant questioned Dan about Ed's mental problems and their trip to the healer and all these things. So 
Following his testimony, the prosecution called an English sawmill customer uh, to testify to Ed's state of mind and two Pennsylvania state police troopers to recount the events following Ed's ultimate arrest and confession. And with their testimony complete, uh, Prosecutor Ferguson announced that he had rested his case. So Ed's attorney could not believe what he was hearing, that the prosecution did not bother to produce one psychiatrist to testify to Ed's sanity a toxicologist to debunk the gunk theory or any of the mill village paramedics to describe the crime scene, which so true. Mm -hmm. What the fuck? The jury was left with very little knowledge of who Katie was or how she had suffered. Lewis was the first to present closing arguments facing the journey. The defense attorney said one who has been responsible all his life doesn't do something like this. The prosecutors say that Ed Gingrich knew what he was doing when he killed his wife, Katie. They ask you to believe that this Amish man had killed his wife because she told him he couldn't go to a wedding or to that dinner. There is one issue in this case. What was the defense mental condition at the time of Katie Gingrich's death? What was in his mind? What was his intent? And in closing, he points out the lack of professional testimony by the prosecution and the apparent weakness of the case they presented. If I said something you didn't like, the prosecutor, prosecuting attorney said, please hold it against me, not the witness. Ferguson told the jury that while Ed may have been mentally ill at the time of Katie's death, insanity is not something totally different. He then concluded that Katie Gingrich's death was no accident. It was murder. Following closing arguments, the judge explained the difference between degrees of murder and explained the legal definition of insanity. He says, criminal insanity refers to a mental illness or disease that makes it impossible for a defendant to know that they were committing a crime or to understand that their actions are wrong. A defendant found to be criminally insane can assert an insanity defense. So the jury deliberates for hours before informing the court they reached a decision. The judge asked the jury if they had reached a verdict. We have, Your Honor, the jury foreman replied as he handed over the verdict slip. The judge read the slip and handed it back to the jury foreman. Ed was then asked to rise and face the jury. In the case of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania versus Edward D. Gingrich on the charge of criminal homicide, how do you find the judge asked the jury? We find the defendant, Edward D. Gingrich, guilty of involuntary manslaughter, but mentally ill, the foreman stated. After the verdict was read, the judge set the sentencing for May 2nd of 94 and adjourned the court. Outside the courthouse, a reporter asked Don Lewis how he felt about the verdict. And so this is his defense attorney. And he says, except for my ego, this is the best possible verdict. It hit me like no other verdict I've ever had. Ed doesn't understand our justice system. He is relieved the trial is over and it was very stressful for him. To the Amish community, Ed's verdict was an insult. Bishop Rudy Schultzler Katie's uncle immediately drafted a petition that read, we like Ed Gingrich, but absolutely do not trust him and are seriously afraid of him because of what he did. We want him to stay in Warren County mental ward for good. 60 signatures ended up on the petition, including his own father. Oh, damn. So they're like, you can't come back. The sentence hearing for Edward Gingrich was held on May 2nd, 94, following the presentation of a psychiatric evaluation. The prosecution shocked everyone present by handing Bishop Shetler's petition to the judge. The defense had presumed the hearing would be routine and were not prepared for Ed's own people to take a strong stance against him. I wouldn't want him there either. Yeah. Upon reviewing the information presented to him and listening to statements from both sides, the judge asked Ed if he had anything to say on his behalf. 
Ed stood up and said, all I can say is I'm sorry to the community that this happened. He then returned to a seat. So following his really brief statement, he's sentenced to a minimum of 2.5 and a maximum of five years with credit uh, for with time. With credit. With, uh-huh, for time served since May 19th, 93. Remember, it's May 2nd, 94 when he was, uh, when he's being sentenced, so almost a year of credit. Ed would be eligible for parole by 95. While the defense team was very upset with the verdict, they also knew it could have been much worse. A week after Ed's sentencing on May 9th, 94, Katie's father got up from dinner, told everyone that he wished he could see his daughter, and went to bed. He never woke up. A few days later, he was buried next to Katie. In November of 94, Ed claimed to have a visit from God, and he was granted forgiveness for his crimes. Ed wrote about his experiences soon after it occurred. And he said, it makes me feel like singing and to shout for joy. I do not shout because of my surroundings, but I do sing sometimes. I have not felt like this or done in the last perilous few years. So he's feeling great now. So Edward Gingrich was denied his first bid for parole in December of 95. However, on March 19th, 1998, at the age of 34, after having served his full five-year sentence, he's released from the state correctional institution in Cambridge Springs, Pennsylvania. He's not welcome back in his town, remember? <laughs> so he can't go back there. So he, he moves to Harmony Haven in Michigan, a community for troubled Amish. What? <laughs> There's a troubled Amish community. Okay. So many have claimed that Ed is not a threat as long as he takes his medication. He already succeeded in scaring members of this new community. It's been reported by those close to him that he has had several relapses since his release and has displayed his old personality on those occasions. Ed moves to Indiana and then eventually returns to Pennsylvania and that community that he was shunned from in 2007. So I guess enough people have left or died or forgiven him so he gets to come back. To go back. Yep. So what ends up happening to Edward Gingrich in January 2011, he's found hanged in a barn in Cambridge Springs, Pennsylvania, where he'd been living with his attorney for the last six months. His attorney. He wrote, please forgive me in the dust on top of a bucket before dying by suicide. Wow. And that's the case of Edward Gingrich. That dude was fucking nuts. I know. Yeah. Like, he should have just been in a mental hospital forever. You know, um, I think that because of the community he was in, like, he could have gotten better help, obviously. Yeah. But, like, everybody kept taking him to that stupid fucking chiropractor guy who, like, I like chiropractors, but that guy was dumb. Yeah. Um, like, give you black strap molasses, pull your toes, and rub your heels. Uh, that, the guy who stares into your you eyes. If you think somebody's like, going to be able to write something down on a piece of paper, it's going to go through some kind of machine, and it's going to tell you what's up, you have no fucking, you're not, you have no idea what's happening. Right. You don't I know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> and you should not be diagnosing anybody with anything. No. So, if he would have gotten better help, and if, but also, he kept getting off his meds. I don't. That's why he should have stayed in a mental hospital. Right. Where he would have stayed on his meds. Yeah. But his family was just like, yeah, it's fine. Let's go look at the eye seer instead. Well, you know, they were Amish people who don't really believe in Western medicine, so. 100%. 
So, yeah. So do you feel like that it was like a disservice to Ed? Or do you think that, like, what do you think about that? I mean, I think it's a disservice to all of them that they're not able to go have, like, an actual fucking doctor see them. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, But it was obvious with all the little signs that something was up with him from pretty early on. And I feel like if they'd gotten him the real help that he needed right away, we maybe could have avoided all of this shit. You know what I mean? Like if they would have gotten him proper help to begin with, but all this like side bullshit with chiropractors and fucking eye seers and whatever, (laughs) like, yeah, it was a hundred percent a disservice to him. It wasn't doing shit for him. He needed actual help. Right. And yeah. And like, they let this go on so long. I yeah, feel Katie like Katie might still be here. Mm-hmm. And I also feel bad for her. Like she didn't really want to speak up too much on it because then she was worried about getting shunned if they got divorced or whatever. And it's like that right there is already fucked up in itself that you feel like you have to be trapped in something. Otherwise your whole family is just going to fucking disown you. That's bullshit. Like major, uh, domestic violence yeah. and just the whole thing. Yeah. Awful. Uh, and with the kids, what is up with the brother not taking the kids? I'm so annoyed that he left the kids there. Me too. Like, he just, like, went off his fucking rocker and killed this chick, and he's just gonna leave the children there, like... Yeah, what if he killed the kids? Yeah, exactly. I was still waiting. I wasn't sure. I was, like, wondering if that was gonna be the next thing. I know. When I was researching this, I'm like, oh, fuck, he's gonna kill his kids, too, but he didn't. I can't believe he didn't, to be honest, especially since he didn't want them to begin with. No, he didn't want them. He's like, oh, don't want them. But the six-year-old ran to go and get the brother... Ed's brother, and then Ed's brother brings him back and leaves him. Yeah. Fuck you. Oh, my God. I hope those kids, I mean, I didn't look to see, nor did I really see anything in all my research what, you know, became of them, but you have to have some sort of fucked upness in your head. Hell, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but he, I, I was like, he's going schizophrenic for sure. Yeah, 100%. And, um... He's perfectly normal outside of the Amish community, but being in it, I was almost wondering if somebody was, like, slightly poisoning him. That's what he said. Or something. Well, like, I started thinking that before that because it was, like, he was only really sick when he was starting to, like, complain about how unhappy he was there. And it was, right. like, so somebody, like, okay, motherfucker, like, here. So, do you know, can you have situational schizophrenic? I don't, or schizophrenia? I don't think so. I didn't think so either. But maybe your symptoms, though, can be, um, like, more dormant or, or exacerbated. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm one, Yeah, I'm wondering if, it, like, him being in that environment was just making him crazier. It must be. I mean. Because he obviously didn't want to be there. So no. that's stressful, right? And right. stress induces a lot of things. Right. So it's, like, if he did have that kind of, like, somewhat dormant in him and then all the stress is, like, slowly bringing it out of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. But then he was feeling better when he wasn't stressed, when he was yeah. somewhere else, and he was, like, feeling like he was somewhere he should be. What? I don't know, but Isn't he was just... a fucking nut job. <laughs> he was. I mean, yeah. 
I feel so bad for Katie because, you know, yeah. she was, like, seen as, like, the old hag, and she was, like, 20. Yeah. And they were, like, she has to get married, and so then she's, like, okay, I'm gonna marry this guy. And then he goes bat-fucking-shit, like, their whole relationship. Yet she still is, like, oh, my, my role is to be the bearer of his children and the this and this and that, and then that doesn't help anything. It just makes it worse. And then she's stuck with three fucking little kids while her husband's being a psycho. I just cannot get behind any of this, like, religious anything. Like, I can't. And then the whole, like, women having to... I No. Sorry. No. <laughs> Agreed. That's why we're not Amish. I'm done with all of it. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, all this is bullshit. That's why I'm not Christian. That's why I'm not Catholic. That's why I'm not anything. <laughs> Because it all is like... They all expect you to be a certain way and that you have a specific role and whatever. Like, I... No. Sorry. <laughs> You're like, no, thank you. Absolutely not. I don't need a fucking man to do anything for me. And I'm damn sure not just going to be his fucking um, brood fucking cow <laughs> and just produce children for him. Like, no. Agreed. Sorry. Yeah. Agreed. No. <clears throat> oh, my God. This is a good case, don't you think? I wasn't, I was like, where the fuck is this going? Like, it's I was so, so crazy. You're like talking about him being, and I'm like, so what is happening? Is somebody slowly poisoning him? Is he slowly losing his fucking mind? <laughs> like, I wasn't really sure where it was going to go. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting. It's nuts. Yeah, it's crazy. When that I, was I a would, good one. I was like yeah. the, on the edge of the, my seat the whole time because I was like, <laughs> what is happening? I don't really know. Like, I'm not really sure how the, like, which way this is going to go. All the shit he'd say, too, and, like, howling and barking and crawling. Let me think of this. That's like, why I thought it was going to turn into, like, a demonic possession thing. And I was like, I'm so done with you if you just no. fucking drug me into this shit right now. <laughs> no, I won't do that to you because I know you don't like those things. But I'll just tell you about somebody that's, like, brutally kills their wife instead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can handle that. Yeah. Oh, my God. All right. So I thought this was cool, though, because literally the first Amish person ever, like, tried and convicted of murder. Because, For a couple years. Well, because they usually do their own shit. Like, they take care of it. They're yeah. like, oh, you raped your child? Because that incest shit happens all the time. And, yeah. like, domestic violence all over the families. And they're right. like, okay, you're shunned. We can't talk to you for a year. And you're like, what? Okay. And then right. after you don't talk to them for a year or they can't be around for a year, guess what? They're going to come back and they're probably do, do it again. Shit. Yeah. They have, they don't. Like, have police come in. They don't have anything come in. Yeah, no. They deal with it themselves. So, no thank you. All right, guys. Well, we're so excited to be back. We really hope that you guys enjoyed the case today. If you have any other requests, as always, we're always looking for requests for cases. Yeah. <laughs> Send them our way so that we can um, cover them for you. And um, let us know your thoughts on this one. What do you guys think? Was he, uh, do you think his environment kind of bred this behavior? Or do you think that he, you know, like, was he crazy? Was he faking it? What do you guys think? We're yeah. curious. Let us know. Yeah, let us know. Let us know if you're obsessed with Amish people like I am. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just find it so interesting. All right. Well, as always, remember, don't, don't get in the van. Get in the van.